So we're still in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Last week I ran over a little bit, so I do want to touch up, touch on a few more examples of, of the permanent spiritual gifts and add a few more details, especially around the last one mentioned in verse 10 also of, of prophecy. And uh, I did mention there is a little disagreement. Patrick might want to weigh in here about the, the prophecy gift, about um, whether it means forth-telling, speaking forth, or foretelling, telling something that's, that's going to happen or... Um, the difference between those two. But for the purposes of our study today, I want to look at the term primarily as speaking forth the words of God, which is simply the setting forth of Scripture. And I I don't think necessarily when we talk about this gift of prophecy that's given to the New Testament church in these days that it's we can rule out you know, one thing or the other. So the needs of the church 2,000 years ago were quite a bit different than they are today. Today we have... does everybody have a, a Bible in their hand? That's, that's something new. That's something that, that we have that the uh, New Testament church did not have. So they, they had different uh, needs back then. And that's why <clears throat> Paul lifts, lists these sign gifts right alongside these others permanent, what we would call permanent spiritual gifts. So I want to give you first an example by, uh, that Peter speaks about. Talking about prophecy. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to Him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. So we have this prophetic word made more sure, to which you would do well to pay attention. And it continues on. Verse 21 says, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. There's a little bit of difference between uh, God speaking through men. For example, we have contained in our scriptures where God moved through men. It was captured, it was recorded, and kept safe throughout all time. We have it today. We can read and study it. But we don't have everything that ever was spoken, right? We don't know that. So whether men spoke words that God had given them, maybe they're not recorded. Well, chances are all of those words are not recorded. So when we say that there's gifts of prophecy... What does that mean exactly? And that's kind of what the, the discussion is, is today. And I wanted to consider it to be simply the foretelling of the scriptures that, that God had given. And also consider 1 Corinthians 14, 22, where prophecy is used as a gift to explain or put forth the teachings of Christ. And 1 Corinthians 14, which, which we'll look at it in a couple of weeks. So then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign. Not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, they will, will they not say you're mad? But if all prophesy, I consider that to be the speaking forth or the teachings of scriptures, the Old Testament primarily, but some of the New Testament. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all. And he is called to account by all. 
The secrets of his heart are disclosed. So he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. So here in 1 Corinthians in chapter 14, it's talking about the putting forth of Scripture. You know, Hebrews talks about, you know, the secret of your heart. Or 1 Corinthians talks about the secret of his heart being disclosed. And Hebrews 4.12 deals with that and talks about the Word of God is living and, and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. You remember that scripture? Piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Is that too quick? So think about in 1 Corinthians 14, he's talking about people putting forth the words of God, teaching those, and it convicting people who come into the assembly, those who are ungifted or unbelievers and being convicted. So that's another reason I think that what we're looking at here when we talk about prophecy today is mainly the foretelling of scriptures that had previously delivered, been delivered to the church by the apostles. Okay? So, any thoughts on what, what I've said so far? Patrick, do you want to weigh in on this? You're just hiding in the corner? Okay, we're all on the same page. So prophecy we're going to consider to be mainly the foretelling of Scripture. Not to say that there were not uh, prophets who discussed things, uh, you know, had a word from the Lord, but those are temporary sign gifts and are there for a different reason. We'll talk a little bit about that more. So, okay, so as we consider what God has gifted us to do in the body of Christ, pay special attention to verse 11 in 1 Corinthians 12. But one and the same Spirit worketh all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. It is God who gives us these spiritual gifts, and it's the Holy Spirit who empowers us to use them properly. And just as a side note, we're not given extra gifts to keep in our pocket just in case we need them. Okay, We're given gifts to use for the edification of the church. These are spiritual gifts that He intends for us to use in the work of the church and to edify others. The gifts are not given for our own personal edification or just for bragging rights. Hey, I've got the work, of, you know, I've got the, the some, you know, well-known uh, spiritual gift. I just, I don't use it a lot because I don't want to, you know, make you sad or anything. But that's not what they're there for. They're there for the edification of the church as a whole in the ministry, the work of the ministry. Okay, now we finished up last week's. So now let's look at verse 12. Um, uh, yeah, verses 12 through 27. We're going to take these as a pretty big lump here because it's all talking about how the body of Christ, and here we're going to look at the local body of Christ, Bridwell Heights. And so think about that as we read through this scripture. So 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit... We are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, 
Is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? And if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed all, placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as He desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. So Paul's comparison of the church of Christ to a body, is, it's mentioned numerous times in Scripture. In Romans 12, he talks about, for just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are in one body of Christ and individually members one of another. Ephesians 4, when he talks about giving the, the church those gifts, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, verse 12 says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of, this, of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to a measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ, and it continues on. And then verse 15, We are to grow up in all aspects unto Him who is the head. So we are the body of Christ. We are to grow up unto all aspects unto Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together, by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up, it, of, a, building up of itself in love. Colossians 2 mentions that the whole body being supplied and held together by the joints and the ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. So one of the major points that Paul teaches in this section of Corinthians is the individuality and the variety of gifts in each body. Each person is gifted as God sees fit. As God sees fit. Who, you know, everybody, who wants to be a pastor? Everybody raise their hand. It's more visible, right? Who wants to be a, a speaking in tongues? Get all, everybody raises their hand. And we're at Corinth now. Who wants to uh, uh, interpret the tongues? Yay, I want to do that, Right? But that's not the way it works. God gives us gifts and talents for us to use as He sees fit, not as we see fit. And that was one of the problems. The church at Corinth put more value on the more visible gifts instead of all the gifts that, they were, that God had supplied to the church. But for those who refuse to serve because they don't have that certain gift or you know, which they think is superior or worth more value... That's wrong. You know, Romans 9.20 talks about, you know, God makes us the way He sees fit. You remember the potter and the clay? And we're not to, to talk back to God and say, God, why didn't you give me this spiritual gift? Why did you give me uh, uh, serving instead of you know, administration? I want to run things. 
Well, the potter says, no, here you have the gift of serving, or you have the gift of uh, speaking, pastor, a teacher. So we shouldn't complain. We should instead just serve with our spiritual gifts that are given to us by Christ. You know, we're enabled by the Holy Spirit to perfectly fulfill that gift that Christ has given us. You know, and, and when even one of us here does not fulfill our spiritual gifts, it hurts the whole body. We'll talk about that. You know, using Paul's analogy of the body, you know, if a tooth is bad, right? Remember, you got a bad tooth. What happens? Oh, man, it hurts. It hurts to the tip of your toes, doesn't it? And if it's bad enough, you don't even want to eat. And pretty soon the whole body begins to suffer when you're just drinking soup each day, right? One little tooth, and yet it affects the, the whole body. Or talk about um, if you get a splinter in your foot. Man, right? Or a speck of dust in your eye. Anybody ever been riding a bike or something, something flies in your eye? What do you do? <laughs> you stop immediately and deal with it. You don't ride home and, you know, with one eye closed, Right? You deal with it because it affects the whole body. You cannot function properly. It's just an eye or it's just a little splinter. Anybody get a rock in your shoe? What do you immediately do? You stop, right, and you take the rock out of your shoe, right? Well, that foot that gets the rock hurts the whole body, cannot function properly. And that's the way we need to consider our spiritual gifts that we've been given from God, whether we're a foot, an eye, an ear, no matter what we are, a nose, he mentions smelling even. So and we should be the same way. You know, we should be the same way with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. When we see one member who is having an issue or having trouble in their life, you know, we should, we should go to their help. We should lift one another up. Because when one part of the body hurts or is suffering, it hurts us all. You know, we all comprise those, the different bodies of Christ. We, each of us use different parts of the body, but we want each body part to be in the best shape it can be so that the ministry doesn't suffer. And simply because we have love for one another, we want everybody to be as well off spiritually as they can be, right? To mature, to attain into the ministry, to the mature of Christ. We want to be able to live as Christ lived. So we want to help each other to get there. Together we make up that local body of Christ and you know, with Christ, of course, being the head and, and we're the body. So we're His hands and feet here on this earth. So what I want to tell you today is look around you. Look at your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. You have the Holy Spirit. We're all, all baptized into that one Holy Spirit. So we, we're one church. We're one people. We're spiritually kin, okay? Like it or not, we're spiritually kin. I hope you like it, okay? Now look around again and think of this whole church as your body, you're a part of the body of Christ. So you're a foot or a hand or a, an arm or an eye. Okay? Maybe you're a lung. Nobody sees the lungs, do they? Try living without your lungs. Right? I mean, you can get by without one eye. Right? You can get by without a hand, even, even your legs cut off. You can live and, and still do somewhat things, but try living without your liver. So just because you may think you have a small, insignificant, which there are none, but insignificant gift of God to minister in local church, it's not that important. It doesn't really matter. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Now, to get the full extent of what Paul is saying here and how revolutionary it was for these believers to be an integral body, an integral body part of Christ, you know, think back to how the slaves were treated, how the women were treated, how the Gentiles were treated. 
You know, the slaves and, and the women were basically treated as property. They had very few rights. You know, who were the Gentiles? You know, they were dogs, right? You Gentile dogs. They were considered to be, you know, dogs. They had no hope in the world. They were without Christ. Ephesians tells us, you know, it was only those upper-class Jews who would have proclaimed themselves truly righteous. Those upper-class leaders, those, those hypocrites, those Jewish people who were in control. So Ephesians tells us, in, in part, I'm going to jump through some of this, about those who were Gentiles previously in the past, Gentiles in the flesh. They were without Christ. They were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. They were strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes were far off are now made nigh or made near by the blood of Christ. So this church at Corinth, they had previously, a lot of them, been considered Gentile dogs, you know, women that had no rights, slaves that were basically treated as you know, property. Now they were being told that they were, could be a part of the body of Christ Himself. So this is revolutionary. This is revolutionary to them. Now, also take note of the truth that's in verse 21. You know, just as members need to fulfill their spiritual gifts in the body, there are no members in the body who can fulfill their callings without the gifts of others. Okay? So just because you have a special gift doesn't mean you can just go off on your own and you're some independent, you know, Christian. You know, just because someone thinks he's independent doesn't make it so. You know, as Patrick mentioned, you know, I don't want to mow the yard. <laughs> so so I, I don't necessarily want to get up in the morning and go to work, but that's not really an option. Well, God has given you a spiritual gift. I'm going to go practice it out in the parking lot. No, that doesn't work that way. You, we're here in their church. God has put you here. So the believer who thinks he can get by just fine without anyone else has made a mysterious, a serious mistake and, and demonstrated foolishness and a sinful, prideful attitude. You know when you get tired of working with people, it's just, you know, like if you're on a committee or a group and I cannot get everybody on the same page and you just want to go off and do it by yourself. Sometimes it's a lot easier, isn't it? Maybe you're training your kids how to do something and it just... No, not the seven sixteenths wrench. I said a half inch wrench. And they come back with channel locks or something. It's so much easier to do it yourself. But the fact is, you're training those your kids to do these things. Well, it's the same with our spiritual gifts. Yeah, sometimes it would be easier to just do things yourself and not wait on somebody else to pick up the slack. But the thing is, that's their spiritual gift to perform. You need to let them do that. You're not gifted in that manner, whatever it may be. You know, as Presbyterians, you know, we're kind of independent, aren't we? We sometimes think, well, we got it all figured out, don't we? We've got, you know, we've got it nailed down. We've got the right doctrine of God, the, you know, doctrines of grace. We've got all that nailed down. The regular principle of worship, we know what we're doing. Um, we've got the proper view, practice of church polity, ecclesiastical authority. We know what's going on. We Really, we just need a preacher on Sunday to open the Word to us and then somewhere to send our tithe money. And we're done. We're out of here. Sometimes we feel that way. We think that way. Couldn't be further from the truth. We need each other. We need each other to prosper. Not just for ourselves. We need to prosper others. And, we, and in doing so, we prosper ourselves and we fulfill the ministry. So I was told by somebody talking about the, the amber that popped from the fire. You know how it began to get dim and 
gave off no discernible heat once it popped out away from the main fire. And it was only when the ember was put back in the fire that it burned brightly again and began to give part of the warmth and the heat of that fire. It's the same way with Christians. We're all in one body. We all have spiritual gifts to fulfill, so let's work on that. Okay, now concerning that phrase that's listed in verse 22 about the weaker, the less honorable, the less presentable members, you know, let's look at that as the body as well. Think about how we clothe our bodies. We wear shirts and pants or dresses to cover up those areas that, that we don't want to publicly display. And those, but those body parts are still needed to sustain life. You know, even those very weakest body parts, the ones that are protected by our exoskeleton, we don't have an exoskeleton, our skeleton, but we'd be a bug, wouldn't we? But anyway, that are protected by our skeleton, our ribs, all those internal organs, they're weak. You can easily, you know, pierce one of those internal organs and die just so they're protected. They're, they're not on the outside. So consider those very weakest body parts and, you know, we can't get by without them. So the thing is, even if you have a spiritual gift that's not seen by others, it's still important. It's vitally important. Maybe you've got the gift of prayer, which is only used between you and God. And maybe people tell you, hey, would you pray for me? And then, you know, you pray for them. Vitally important. Vitally important. So whatever your gift is, remember that it doesn't matter if you hold an office or not. It doesn't matter if you execute some function that's visible or to all. Or maybe it's just only visible to God. It is important. We're still, we're still vital to the body of Christ. I'm going to do my best not to run along today. So today sometime in, in your quiet time, maybe after you get home from church and sit down for a minute, read through chapter 12 again, that first part, that first half, and think about that body of Christ that you are. Think about your spiritual gifts. Think about what you like to do and, and that you do well. So let's continue on now and look at some of the individual gifts and, and talents that, that Christ gave the church during this early period in church history. And I'll remind you, this is not an exhaustive list. It's just, or even a list of essential needs today, but it is a sampling of what God has provided for in the life of the church. In verse 28, chapter 12, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. And those first two examples were men who were gifted with certain spiritual gifts and were given offices in, in the early church, those apostles and prophets. Their functions or gifts are commonly recognized as threefold. Well, number one was to lay the foundation for the early church. Number two was to receive and declare the revelation of God's Word. And then lastly, to give confirmation of God's Word through signs, wonders, and miracles. Now, once the New Testament was complete, neither of those first two offices or gifts would be needed. You know, Hebrews tells us that in these last days now, He has spoken to us through His Son. You know, previously He spoke to us, you know, th uh, through fathers and the prophets in many portions and many ways. But in these last days, He's spoken to us in His Son. So let's br look briefly at the individual gifts. The apostles, those apostles that were gifted would be those original 12 that were chosen by Christ with the addition of Paul and Matthias who was uh, Judas's replacement. And these men were apostles in the strictest sense of the word that they were had seen the resurrected Christ. They had been selected by Christ. Okay? 
Now, it does mention the word apostle in, in other places in Scripture, but it's used more generally. It's used more generally. Like in Romans 16, 17, Greet Adronicus and Genius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are outstanding among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me, Paul says. Acts 14, 4, But the people of the city were divided, and some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And here it's talking about Barnabas being an apostle. And in Thessalonians, he mentions, uh, it's mentioned another time talking about apostles. and It's talking about Sil- Silas and Timothy. Those are more general usages. And we wouldn't include those, uh, those people mentioned there as being part of the official apostles since we have no indication they were chosen directly by Christ and, and witnessed the resurrected Christ. So, so God g- did give apostles to the early church, right? No surprise. Prophets. And as we mentioned earlier, I don't think that the prophets that are listed here are the same as that Old Testament variety of prophets who uh, were spoken to directly from God and you know, even sometimes uh, audibly and, sp- and spoke forth those words. But I think these are mentioned as those you know, we looked at earlier in verse 10, and they f- would fall more into the category of those wise teachers who served in a local assembly. They may have spoken revelation directly from God on occasion, but... I'm not aware of any instances recorded in Scripture where we have that as the spoken word of God. We do have some that are mentioned, but not, it's not like they were used regularly to put forth God's word. However, that being said, I think that what they were there is to do more application and exposition of the Scriptures that had already been given. You know, in, a little bit later on in 1 Corinthians 14, we hear about the prophets. And whatever a prophet said is still to be judged under what the apostles had said. If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you, Paul says, are the Lord's commandment. So in other words, the prophets can, can say stuff, but what I'm saying here, this is God's word. This is the commandment. This is God's word. It has more authority. So the, even if a prophet did speak something, it would still be under the authority of what the apostles had, had given. So And I I do think there's a difference between the prophets who exercised probably more in a local church rather than generally like the apostles did traveling around the whole area. I think those prophets may have been exercising their gifts specifically for local churches. But there's a difference between what the prophets were doing and the pastors and teachers because it mentions those as well. So I'm hesitant to narrow down their gifts too much because Scripture really doesn't show a great distinction and what the differences are. So I'm hesitant to narrow down uh, their gifts too much, especially since I wasn't there, right? Okay. So, so the apostles probably served throughout the whole region. The prophet would probably have served in that local ter- church teaching and applied the scriptures more specifically. So, but once that New Testament church had started, was founded, had the doctrine, those two offices would have no longer been needed. Thirdly, teachers. This probably refers to those mentioned in Acts 13 and Ephesians 4.11 as those pastors and and teachers. You know, Ephesians 4.11, he gave some apostles, prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Miracles and healings. And we mentioned last week that these spiritual gifts of miracles and healings were part of the temporary sign gifts that were used for authentication of someone or what was being spoken. These gifts would no longer be needed after the completion of the New Testament. Helps. This gift could also be explained as service or simply bearing one another's burdens. In 
Other places in Scripture, the word is used to, so, to show somebody taking another burden off of someone and putting it on themselves. So this gift of helps would be bearing one another's burdens. Pretty clear. Administrations. That gift would be one of directing, organizing, or leading a ministry. Now, think about yourself when we're reading through these. Do you have any of these? Now, skip over the first couple and the miracles and stuff. We won't. Okay. Tongues. This would have been a gift given so that other languages could be communi- used to communicate the things of God when a difference of language existed. And Paul actually spends chapter 14 addressing the false or the counterfeit gift of what many today would consider the language of angels. Okay, Now, this is static language, which Paul, I think, was dealing with in this Corinthian church. It was not understandable and frequently resulted only in confusion in the churches. There was no edification taking place. We'll get into that in chapter 14. But, you know, I, I, I hesitate to even call it a language. It was more of, of just utterances. And that false gift of tongues no doubt came from the pagan practice of the day when false religions were practiced. That involved the uh, erotic, the sensual fulfillment, and all the probably controlled by the spirit that came from the bottle, not from the Holy Spirit. So all those utterances and all that false languages that being used was probably came from just basically emotional and, and pagan practices. So let's just leave it for now and say that the true gift of tongues was used to communicate to each other, not to God, but to each other for edification of the body, which are what spiritual gifts are meant to do, edify the body. So then Paul closes out this chapter with a reminder that everyone has different spiritual gifts and that all are important. And even though many were seeking the greater gifts, it mentions, or those with greater visibility or prominence, there was a more excellent way. And that way, as he begins chapter 13, we'll find out that way was love or charity, as it's sometimes called. Verse 29. So are all not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Now, Paul makes the point that everyone in the church are not apostles or prophets or any other gift, any other thing, but there's a variety of gifts in each church. And you know, I think that the, the gifts that Paul mentions here, that's not included by accident. He particularly mentions those gifts which the Corinthians would have considered top tier, right? The premium gifts. Right? We want the tongues or the interpretation. What miracles and healing? I want to be a prophet. Those top tier gifts. That's kind of the ones he mentions here. Paul wouldn't consider them top tier, but the Corinthians would have. Those spiritual gifts that garner the most attention or respect in the eyes of man. And so what about verse 31? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. Earnestly desire the greater gifts. So what's Paul talking about here? And this is actually, the commentaries are pretty, pretty split on this, but I'll tell you which one I believe is right. But the first interpretation is that Paul's actually saying that the Corinthians only wanted the greater gifts that they coveted after, and they considered the less visible gifts as not very valuable. In other words, 
the verse would read, but you Corinthians only desire the greater gifts. Okay, some commentators feel that way. Here's what I'm telling you, that Paul could be instructing them to truly earnestly desire the greater gifts. Those greater gifts of serving and then helps and those other gifts which are not as visible. We talked about those body parts that are weaker but more vital, right? We talked about those. And that end of verse 31 gives us a hint of what Paul is referring to, those gifts which are not sought out for fame, but those gifts which originate from a fountain of love, love for one another, love of Christ, wanting to meet others' needs. And those gifts will be more in the serving and the helps category. You know, gifts not necessarily set upon a pedestal in the eyes of the Corinthians, but they're still considered very valuable especially to those who profit spiritually from them, as well as in the eyes of Him who gave the gift, Christ Himself. Those are valuable gifts. Those are the greater gifts, those gifts of servings, the gifts of, of helps, the gifts of prayer. Things which don't necessarily show up on the uh, nightly news. Now this next chapter that we're going to get into, verse chapter 13, talks about the power of love and how we're to practice our gifts in love. And and. That's another reason why I think Paul is not necessarily speaking sarcastically to the Corinthians. Instead, he's instructing them to change their goals or motives from one of authority, wanting authority or fame or power, instead to seek love and to service, to meet the needs of one another, to bear one another's burdens. That's why I think that he's not being uh, somewhat sarcastic here, but he's actually telling them, desire the better gifts, the greater gifts, those of serving and of helps. So I got done earlier today. Do we have any... Thoughts? Yeah, 12 and 13 really tie together with uh, um, I'll jump ahead to your next, next session. Uh, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Yes. And, and he kind of opposes prophecy. He kind of puts these on each other. Uh, but anyway, as being greater than prophecy. And, and we're going to look at that, yes. And, and what we end up seeing is that Paul is correcting their mindset. Remember the church at Corinth? Divisions everywhere. Schisms, factions. Had people rising up. I'm of Paul, Cephas, I'm of Christ. They're all divided. They're all wanting their own ways. They're all wanting to be lifted up themselves. Instead, of, they were not lifting each other up as much. So that's one of the things. Thank you, Travis. Anything else? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your, for your love. Thank you for your word who, uh, which you have uh, saved for us throughout time, that you have uh, preserved it through the, the uh, supernatural work that only you can. Lord, we sometimes we are so negligent to study the word of God. How precious is that? And yet we take it, Lord, for granted. We don't uh, read it as much as we should. We definitely don't study it as much as we should. And yet it has the words of life to instruct us. It has... Uh, so much um, wisdom in there, so much higher than the wisdom of man, Lord. It makes the wisdom of man seem like foolish ideas. So, Lord, I do pray that you'd help us to understand your word as, as well as when we read it, when we study it, when we hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against you. I pray that you would uh, uh, help us one another to lift one another up, that we would edify one another, that we would build up the church uh, of Christ here at Bridwell Heights and even uh, Church Universal throughout the world that we would be able to carry out the ministry that uh, you have for us. We ask now you'd be with the service to come, that you'd be with Patrick and give him a clear mind and, and uh, 
and speech that he might be able to communicate faithfully your words to us. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.